This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This episode of the podcast is being recorded outside of the normal studio, which is north of Boston, Massachusetts, and is being recorded in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. And so consequently, you may hear sounds, not necessarily sounds that have to do with Washington, D.C., but sounds that have to do with the 10 children that are in this house, or maybe the five dogs, or the dog that is at my foot enjoying a bone. But that's just the ambiance that's going to be guiding you through the next 20 minutes or so where we're talking about high temperature and trout. Well, I am on a vacation slash family trip, and that's why I'm thinking about trout and high temperatures, because it is warm here in Virginia. It is don't stand outside warm, and it gets this way. I mean, I lived in Virginia for a number of years, and this is just normal August weather, and actually, it's not that bad. My watch says it's 90 degrees right now, but I was out putting air in my tires on the blacktop a few minutes ago, and it felt a lot hotter than 90 degrees, and so I have not been fishing for trout. I have got three wonderful trout fly rods in the back of my car. I have boxes and boxes of trout flies. I have little boys that are excited about going to fish for trout but we have not done it because it has been so warm. Now, I'll talk about in a minute how we could have gone fishing for trout, but we have spent our time chasing bass and bluegill and other warm water fish because they are much more tolerant of these high temperatures. But today we're going to be talking about what happens when it gets hot out and why trout, if you're a trout angler, need to be something that you take into consideration as that thermometer climbs higher and higher. So you probably know, I hope you know, that trout don't do well in hot weather. I, mean, I don't think you've ever caught a trout in that subdivision pond if you live somewhere in the south where you catch lots and lots of bluegill. And then you've caught trout in that slow brown river where you just see carp that are chasing after uh, dragonflies and, and sunbathing themselves. Um, you don't catch trout in places where there's only frogs and turtles. 
And the temperature has something to do with that. But there's actually a greater and deeper reason why you don't find trout in those places and consequently why you need to be cognizant of warmer weather and why you shouldn't be fishing for trout under certain circumstances. I think it's also important to, to note that this doesn't mean no fishing for trout in hot weather. Uh, sometimes things get overgeneralized, and I can appreciate why people do that. There's the kind of pharisaic tendency to draw a wall that is around the kernel of truth. The kernel of truth is trout don't do great in hot weather, but there's plenty of times where trout are doing perfectly fine. I'm thinking of some spring creeks. They're only about an hour from where I'm sitting right now. And the trout will be doing great there, even if the weather gets over 100 degrees and there's not a breeze in the to, to be found. Um, and the reason for that is that that water is coming from underground and it is coming in a very, very cold and oxygenated format. And that is the key. So although trout aren't going to like really, really warm water, more often than not, the first factor that you run into when you get to warm weather has less to do with the temperature of the water and more to do with the fact that warmer water carries less dissolved oxygen. All right. Less to do with the fact that the water is warm, more to do with the fact that warm water carries less dissolved oxygen. So you're very familiar with the fact that, uh, that trout don't breathe air like you and me. Hopefully you're aware of that. Um, but what trout do is that they let water pass through their in their mouth and through their gills, and their gills have a biological uh, mechanism by which they trap all manner of things, including the dissolved oxygen that is in the water. And this is how they are able to respirate. Now, when water gets warmer, it is less able to hang on to things like oxygen. Why is that? Because molecules, as water heats up, they move faster. So think about a microwave. Uh, a microwave, as it runs, it makes the molecules, the water molecules in your food, whatever it may be, move faster. So and this is where my science bona fide is really showing, right? But you flip that over and as things warm up on their own outside, then those molecules are going to move faster and they are less able to, or less likely to hold on to those dissolved oxygen molecules, or excuse me, devolve those oxygen atoms. And so they push them up and out and they dissolve. They dissolve into the air. They evaporate into the air, and they're not into in, in the water. So there's less oxygen for those fish to get. So not only are they getting stressed because of the increased temperature of the water, they are, to a greater degree, getting stressed because they can't breathe. There's no oxygen in that water. Different fish have different capacities to do this. So something like a carp, for example, um, or a snakehead, they have a much greater ability to thrive in lower oxygen settings. And so we often think, oh, they can they can handle really muddy water. Well, that's true, but to a degree, they they're really the the benchmark for understanding where a fish can operate has to do with oxygen. Uh, the temperature is almost a secondary, but certainly a corollary aspect to consider. Now, fish are going to have differences in even within from species to species. Trout, brown trout are going to have a higher ability to tolerate degrees uh, temperatures in kind of the the mid to high sixties. Um, 
Now, I want to be very, very clear here. Don't take this as gospel truth. So say something like 66 to be to be clear, because a lot of places you go online will say, once that water temperature hits 67 or 68 degrees, stop fishing. You may see fish feeding, you may see fish moving, you may see fish rising, but don't, don't fish for those fish. And so I don't want to kind of contradict that because again, not an environmental biologist, not even a fisheries biologist, just a guy who talks about fish a lot on the internet. Uh, but so say 66 degrees is a place where brown tar are totally fine. Uh, you drop down to like that 63 degree range, even lower, maybe around 60. And that's where rainbow trout are optimally feeding lower than that. Even almost down to 50 degrees is where you're going to find char. Now that is a gross overgeneralization to say it's 55, 60, 65. But if it's easier to kind of have the ballpark in your mind, think about brown trout at 65, rainbow trout at 60, char like brook trout at, at 55. Now, those fish, all three general species and families, I should say, are going to feed at all sorts of different temperatures. But those are kind of rule of thumb, optimal ways to think about those fish. Now, once again, this has to do with dissolved oxygen. There are ways to offset that temperature with dissolved oxygen. So the most apparent one has to do with the fact that you may get water that is having dissolved oxygen introduced to it because it is moving very rapidly. Now, this is not going to be significant enough where if that thermometer says 70 degrees, but it's bubbly white water because of a waterfall, then you're totally fine to fish for trout. So to, to say it another way, just because you see a like a turbid area upstream or you see rapids upstream, if your little thermometer is telling you it's in the high 60s, it's probably still going to be a bad idea to fish for those fish. Because if they are in there, and as I said before, they're going to be in there, they're going, they're not going to necessarily run for the hills immediately, they're going to try to hang out, they're going to try to uh, remain where they are most comfortable, and they're going to try to continue to feed and to hide from predators. Uh, but if you are fishing for those fish in that situation, uh, once you hook them, this is really where the problems begin, because that fish is going to build up acids in it, and it's going to not be able to, its metabolism is not going to be able to work through those things as quickly if it's unable to get the same sort of oxygen that it needs. So essentially, you're going to stress a fish. The fish are probably already stressed once it gets to this temperature slash dissolved oxygen level. Uh, just imagine yourself or imagine maybe you don't do it, but imagine somebody who is like an elite athlete who is taking a stress test. What do they do? They deprive themselves of oxygen and they exert themselves significantly. And this is to determine the ability that they're able to function under extreme conditions. That is kind of like what a trout is putting itself through or is being put through when it is in a pool or when it is in a portion of a stream where the water temperature has risen and the dissolved oxygen has lowered. So generally speaking, you're going to see this all over the place. Once you hit 66 or 67 degrees, it's not a great time for fish for trout. Of course, if you're starving in the wilderness and you see some trout and it's 70 degrees, by all means, eat those fish. But if you are practicing catch and release, or you're trying to practice sustainable angling, once that water hits 66 or 67 degrees, then back off. Right around 65 degrees, that is where you want to really make sure you're being conscientious about your angling. You want to play fish quickly. It's always good to play fish quickly. And this is one of those things that I think is kind of silly about a lot of these charts and diagrams. If you Google 
water temperature trout, water temperature fly fishing, you're going to see all these charts that kind of give you like a, a thermometer because it's a great way to, to indicate something that has to do with temperature. You're going to see all these charts that say don't fish at this level. Be very careful when fishing at the kind of the medium of, like I said, around 65 degrees, 64, 65 degrees. But the reality is these are best practices you should be practicing with trout all the time. Uh, I think it's kind of silly and a little bit hypocritical for someone to say, well, when it's kind of on the borderline, you should really, really take care of those fish. When the, the messaging across the board all the time is whenever you're fishing for trout, you should try to take care of them if you're practicing catch and release. Um, I don't want someone using lighter tippet simply for the sake of using lighter tippet. I don't want to see somebody playing a fish longer than they need to simply for the sake of playing a fish. When the water temperature is 60 degrees, that is silly and it's unnecessary. And although that fish will undergo less stress than a fish that is in an environment closer to 65 degrees, it's still not the same kind of ethos that catch and release is really built upon. So all that to say, you want to be a little more, more conscientious around that 65 degree mark. And then when you get below that, kind of 64, 63, kind of your normal trout fishing situations, that's when you are happy to just kind of do whatever you want to do. But again, with the, the understanding that you're supposed to be an ethical angler, be taking care of those fish. So what happens in, in this time of year? So you think about a free zone stream. So again, I mentioned earlier, spring creeks, spring creeks where that water comes straight out of the aquifer and up, boils up into a, a meadow or, or, you know, a, a similar environment. And that water just flows on through and that water is cold and it has significant dissolved oxygen because it's cold and probably because that water is moving at a, a decent clip. Even if it's only meandering along, uh, it's got a few things going for it. First and foremost, it's coming from underground. So it's being forced through underground channels and caverns with lots of spring seeps, and that introduces dissolved oxygen because of the way it's moving. Secondly, it's cold right? Uh, thirdly, there's often a lot of plant life. And so that increases that load of dissolved oxygen in that water. You also have tailwaters. Tailwaters, particularly if they're bottom release tailwaters, are going to introduce a significant amount of dissolved oxygen as that, as that water goes through the turbines and comes flying out the bottom of that dam. And that water is also very cold coming from the bottom, bottom of a dam, if it's a bottom release dam. Even dams that have top release, then that water tumbling over that dam is going to involve a lot more dissolved oxygen being introduced into the water. So these are your exceptions. I would say even high mountain streams, same thing. If you really, really want to fish for trout in the middle of the summer, go to a high mountain stream. There's usually going to be canopy. There's usually going to be that water's going to be coming quickly from the source in the in the, the freestone situation um, from the springs. And it's going to have a higher level of dissolved oxygen and it's going to maintain some thermal integrity for a good clip after it gets to the point where it's fishable. Because you know, you don't you don't find these giant springs on the top of, of mountains. You see lots of little seeps that are coming from different places on the hillside, and then they kind of uh, convalesce together and they um, form a bigger stream. But so all that water is moving, you know, not just through plant life, but also down over rocks and is introducing some more dissolved oxygen. So that's kind of a place you'd want to go. So the high mountain stream, the spring creeks and the tailwaters are your, where you're going to want to focus your time, effort, and energy. Now, does this mean this is the only place that you can fish? Absolutely not. Two things. Firstly, carry a thermometer. 
you can carry a instant read thermometer and some fly fishing companies sell them, but you can just get them off Amazon for, you know, cooking or other, um, you know, uses for significantly less money than one that is branded by a fly fishing company. But you drop that sucker in the water and you can take an instant temperature of what you're dealing with. And if it is incredibly hot outside and it just feels stale and stagnant, but that thermometer is telling you that that water in maybe a couple places around you that you've tested is below 65 degrees, then by all means, fish and fish to your heart's content. It isn't necessarily a one-to-one -one correlation with the air temperature or the way the air feels and what has happened to the water. Water is going to be much more resilient and it's going to have a higher level of integrity when it comes to maintaining a thermal balance than what you're going to have in the air. So even though you may have a stretch of really, really hot days, that water isn't going to heat up at the same rate that the air is. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that water is going to fluctuate, especially if you're talking about shallower water, water that's not moving super fast, or water that is distributed across a wide uh, river. Uh, what will happen in those situations, especially if the sun is out, and if there's a dark bottom, and if there is a rock substrate underneath that, uh, that's what that, the bottom is made up of, is that that water will heat up as the day goes on. So especially out west and larger rivers and medium-sized rivers, they are, there are hoot owl restrictions that are put into place, which basically is, you know, you fish when owls don't fish. When owls hoot, I guess is probably what it means. So that means you can fish in the morning and you can fish in the evening. Sometimes these are regulations that are imposed by state agencies. But this is also a good ethic to simply live by. And there's benefits to this. The, the first one is you are fishing for fish at a time when they are more resilient, even though the water temperatures are higher. There's an ethical component to it. Secondly, you're going to be optimizing your opportunities at catching fish. The middle of the day when it's silly hot out is not the time to be catching trout. They're not going to want to chase your flies. They're not going to want to move significantly. They're certainly not going to want to rise at any sort of consistent level. So you are actually doing yourself a favor. This is when you can take a nap. This is when you can throw on a popper and go fish for bluegill and bass. And really, this is what it comes down to. And a lot of folks will just say this, you know, when the weather gets really hot, and the water temperature gets really hot. And those two things um, have a connection, but they aren't, uh, again, intrinsically related uh, everywhere you fish. This is the time to go fish for bass and bluegill and carp. Now, remember, these are still fish, and they all have their specific tolerances when it comes to temperature and dissolved oxygen. So it doesn't mean you get carte blanche to fish for these fish, that they're completely impenetrable, impenetrable to uh, difficult environmental circumstances, and they're impervious to very, very uh, hot weather. It just means that they have higher tolerances, so they are oftentimes a good alternative when you fish for uh, trout, usually. So there's a few things to think about, and hopefully this has been helpful. There's a lot of scientific data that goes into understanding these things, and I would encourage you to read it, because I think one of the things that is most dangerous and disingenuous by conservation organizations, and even by fly fishing companies, is when they say, when it's over this temperature out, you know, you should maybe think about fishing for other fish or, or, or go and do something completely different when there's plenty of exceptions. So although that is a good generality, that's a good thing to think about kind of on a broad brush level, it's not really true. Uh, what's true is fish have specific environmental factors that they, they need when it comes to not just 
living, but thriving. And you may find workarounds. It may have to do with spring seeps. It may have to do with the tailwater. It may have to do with significant foliage cover. But it is something to be aware of that you, to be a, a conscientious angler, understanding water temperature and understanding how that has a direct relationship to the dissolved oxygen in the water. And both of those things come together to talk about how stressed a fish is and how much the mortality of a fish may be exacerbated or the pot, the potential for a mortality of fish may be exacerbated. If you not even just catch the fish, but fish for that fish, I think every one of us is, is cast to a trout and that trout is agitated by the fact that that fly is there. Sometimes that fly fish will go after that fly because it's agitated. Sometimes it'll just act really funny. And even doing that is the kind of thing that is going to kind of push trout to the brink. Now, we're talking here about kind of a, a razor's edge that fish live on. But we have to remember that they are a lot more hardy than we give them credit for. You know, trout are not these, you know, fainting violets. They are not these fish that as soon as the temperature rises a degree, as soon as they're caught and released, as soon as, you know, something happens to their, their pool, they're going to go belly up and die. Sometimes we paint them in that light. They are very, very hardy. And although it's been a pretty warm stretch the last few years, it's, we've had warm stretches like this in, in ages past and the trout have persisted. Uh, they are very, very hardy. They are very, um, they, they're survivors. Uh, even though they live in cold and clean environments, they are able to put up with and deal with not super cold, not super clean environments for a prolonged period of time. I guess the question, the, the, the issue is that we just don't, you know, make that worse by fishing for them when they are trying to hang on in those uh, those those margin times that they always have to deal with, uh, especially in places that are kind of on the edge of their territory or have been compromised because of uh, factors such as development or pollution or things like that. So I say go out and fish. Find a place to fish for trout. There, if, if you are in the east or in the western mountains, then you go high up. If you are someplace where there's spring creeks, now is the time to work on that. Whoppers are going to be out. Uh, it's, it's a, the, the minnows are going to be moving around. So using bait fish imitations is going to be incredibly effective. Um, but if you fish somewhere where you're talking about put and take streams, then that's not the kind of fish you want to be fishing for anyway. Uh, go out and really work on your smallmouth bass game, work on your carp game, uh, do that kind of stuff. Um, but just take that thermometer with you. Keep an eye on water temperatures. Utilize some of the resources that are out there so you can even plan before you get to the stream. And uh, you will, uh, you'll enjoy it. And you'll be a more conscientious and involved angler while you are at it. Any questions, comments, accusations about uh, trout and the temperature? Let me know. Matthew at castingcross.com. And again, you Google this and you're going to find information that is more in-depth and more wide-ranging than I've talked about in these last 20 minutes. And if it's something that you have more questions about, you know, you can email me, but you can also do some research for yourself. And uh, I think that you'll probably find your answers relatively quickly. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called Ed, a flea, and me, part four. So this is the 
conclusion of a four-part story. Let's not say saga. That seems awfully intense. But a four-part story about uh, a new fly rod I got. It's an Ed Shank custom rod from the 1960s, the early 1960s. And uh, I was able to go and catch a fish with it. And so I talk about that story a little bit here on the, the fourth uh, edition or the fourth installment of Ed, a flea, and me. Wednesday's article is called Vacation Check. So I'm on vacation. I uh, like to record the podcast uh, kind of, you know, not a, a bank of them. So I brought my microphone and my computer on vacation. I'm recording it right now. But I talk a little bit about why vacation is good and some of the benefits of vacation and uh, why uh, why you might uh, want a vacation yourself. But that there's also something more and something deeper than just uh, a sporadic vacation here and there. There's opportunities for rest. Uh, every week, and we've been made to rest every week. This week's recommendation on the podcast is the VitaVu Inversion Sling. The VitaVu Inversion Sling. So I've talked about VitaVu packs before on the podcast, but I want to talk about the Inversion Sling today because it is quickly become my favorite of the VitaVu packs. And the reason for that is, first and foremost, it uses water-resistant zippers. You can't say waterproof because waterproof means that you could put a piece of paper in this thing, could submerge it at 100 feet and do, you know, smush it around and it wouldn't even have one water drop on it. And so no company wants to throw waterproof on a, on a product. But this is water-resistant because of the materials that it uses, especially if you happen to choose their um, ballistic nylon, um, but also because of the zippers that is that are used. But so this is a great pack that I use in the salt water because I am not the tallest person in the world. I'm five, seven and a half on a good day. Um, but it's also the pack that I like to bring with me in the canoe and on the boat um, because it is water resistant and it also because just its shape, it fits on a canoe seat very, very well. It fits in a kayak storage area very, very well. And uh, it can tolerate water dripping on it from your paddle moving or from fish uh, falling on it and things like that. And so it is a great pack to wear on your back, but it's a great pack to wear on your back as you walk to your boat and then you throw it um, at your feet or throw it in the seat in front of you. So it's a great pack. I've used it for, boy, I don't know, four years, five years now um, in all sorts of situations. And it is quickly becoming the pack I go to the most. It is great to throw three or four fly boxes in. It's great to throw one fly box and the lunch in. It's great to throw a couple of Plano boxes full of uh, you know lures if you are using conventional gear. So the inversion sling pack from Vitavu, it can be customized left hand or right hand. The strap can be adjusted based upon your height. You can all sorts of colors to choose from, multiple materials. But for, for the purposes of what I'm talking about it's using, being used for, I would uh, absolutely recommend the uh, the ballistic nylon. Um, it's a little bit more rigid of material, but it is it is a waterproof material itself. And I'll put a link to the Vitavu inversion sling on the show notes for this podcast page over at castingcross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go to the pursuit of fish.